Hi, I'm Colleen Caro. Welcome to Avant Grad, Ohio's Trailblazers. I'm here in the beautiful green and white dining room of Conacher Alumni Center on Ohio University's Athens campus. This episode features Lynn Johnson, a celebrated photojournalist and a 2004 master's degree graduate of Ohio University's School of Visual Communication. Her work in publications such as National Geographic, Life Magazine, Sports Illustrated, and many, many others documents the human condition in both subtle and intense ways, ways that challenge us as viewers to experience life along with her subjects. Thank you so much for joining us for this talk. Hi, Lynn. Hi, Colleen. How are you? Thank you so much for joining our podcast about trailblazing alumni. Mm -hmm. It's a thrill to be talking to you today. I met you when you were in school here working on your master's degree when you were a Knight Fellow. Mm -hmm. um, and you received that master's degree in visual communications in 2004. So um, some moons ago, but it's great to reconnect with you. And good to see you. Thank you for reminding me that year uh, because it seems <laughs> like many lifetimes ago, actually. So, but also just yesterday, in yeah. some ways, I remember it well. Mm -hmm. And you know, the Knight Fellow program is such an incredible program funded by the Knight Foundation, of course, mm -hmm. inviting um, an outstanding visual communicator to campus to be a fellow and to teach and to learn. Um, so we've had so many celebrated visual communicators, yourself, many, many photojournalists, mm -hmm. um, many Pulitzer um, Prize winners as well. And it's been such a great benefit to our campus and also a great source of pride for us at Ohio University mm -hmm. to have such esteemed alumni out there. Um, so I'm really proud to have you part of the podcast as a, as a former Knight Fellow. Oh, my great pleasure. I must say that that fellowship changed the so much uh, in my perspective and life and um, prepared me for things that I didn't know I needed to be prepared for, but uh, definitely kind of recalibrated the way I think about photography in the world. So That's great. Well, I would love to get to that. It's definitely one of my questions mm -hmm. for you, mm -hmm. but I wondered if we could start a little bit at the beginning. Um, I know that you grew up in Pittsburgh, I think wholly or partially. I've been mm -hmm. doing some research so mm -hmm. you can you can clear the air on that. And that um, you started shooting for the Pittsburgh Press in 1975. Mm -hmm. So I wonder if you can tell us a little bit how did you how did you make your way to photojournalism, photography, um, and, and sketch just briefly your early career if you wouldn't mind for us. Mm -hmm. Well, I sort of found photography as a kid in the school library um, looking at the work of the Farm Security Administration photographers and just immediately knew kind of viscerally that's what I wanted to do. Um, so I went to RIT for my undergrad degree and they actually didn't have a photojournalism or documentary department. They sort of had a professional and a medical photography and um, and then pure art photography. So um, I just kind of, well, they had something called photo illustration. That's what I took. And um, it was sort of a hybrid path. Um, so when I graduated, I uh, started working at the Pittsburgh Press, which no longer exists. And, um, you know, the press has a has a reputation for being a very forward-thinking paper at one time. I did not work at that paper. I worked 
there before that happened when it was just like the good old boys and me. And um, so that was actually the first great education is how to survive in an all male um, staff of 15, 16 people. So how did you deal with those challenges? How did you cope with that? Well, there were many. I mean, uh, you know, I think, um, first of all, being a young photographer, and you come out of school and you have this sense that the world wants you to communicate the truth and um, in depth. And uh, then, you know, uh, one discovers that, oh, well, you can't really do that if you're on five deadlines a day, which at the time the the Pittsburgh Press had. So you only have 10, actually 10 minutes to spend with people. So I think learning how to be creative on demand in a very short period of time was, that was excellent training. And, um, and then there was the complexity of, of working with the staff of sort of middle-aged white guys who, um, and at the time, of course, you know, diversity wasn't even the a, a corporate concept like a, we should be striving for diversity so diversity in that staff was like oh we had an Italian American photographer you know and a German guy so um, yes I mean all of these men just thought I would photograph the tea parties and the society page and I was like no uh, you know, I want the fire just like you did. You know, I want the news, the breaking news. I, you know, I want to learn about how to do this. I want that suicide, that body that just washed up off the river, out of the river. You know, because I, I, I think that that's just who I am. Um, you know, Adam and I were just talking about how he decided to stay in Athens, and that's who he is. Well, we photograph from who we are. And so that period of time I was there, I think seven years, was a great education in discovering who who I was, you know, or am, and um, what kind of work I wanted to pursue. The tea parties and the social events were not what you saw in the library growing up. No, exactly. <laughs> in, in those photo books that inspired you and spoke to your soul. Exactly. Exactly. So my, I imprinted on those images of hardship and sacrifice and, you know, caregiving under pressure and, you know, black and white um, documentary images. So, um, yeah, so I, I, I did, uh, I did uh, practice a little subterfuge um, in the, in the department, you know, because of the way physical way that the department was set up like the city desk was out there and you had to come through a doorway and whoever brought the assignment in which was of course on a little piece of paper which I still have some of those by the way so to give to the archive uh, at OU yeah it would come into a piece of paper and it would just say fire you know 385 Forbes Avenue and if there was nobody the guys would all sit around in that room. You know, they'd just sit around. You could smell Dectol in the air and Hypo. And, you know, it was the time of film and liquid chemicals. 
But if there was nobody there, I would just take the assignment. And then there was a back door you could go out. You didn't have to go out the front to show that you had the assignment in your hand. I would go out the back door, down the back stairway to the parking lot and, you know, go to the assignment. Because there was a hierarchy of, um, you know, status, of course. So certain photographers would get certain assignments. and So I had to, I had to break that, um, assumption that I yeah. was going to do a certain kind of work. That's a great story. Thanks for sharing it. Mm. Yeah. So you, you, you stayed there about seven years and eventually um, left to pursue freelance work. Um, you ended up shooting for life in Sports Illustrated, of course, National Geographic. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, from your website, I, I pulled this phrase, you call yourself a photographer passionate about elusive subjects and asking tough questions. I like that so much, and um, and some some other my research led me to to this notion you shared at one point about getting people to cross that divide of their own fear. You know, mm -hmm. will they will they look at an image? Will they interact with an image, um, or will will they walk away? Mm -hmm. And and to me, some of those things speak mm -hmm. to um, what what you're saying about the the kind of images and moments that you, and stories you want to tell, those moments you want to document, and stories you want to tell. Yeah, I think, you know, those perspectives that you just um, reiterated are, are things that have developed over time. You know, in the beginning, when you're, when I was young, I can't speak for others, but, but I do feel like there's some universal aspect to this. You know, it's really just about, you know, your appetite for the excitement of doing the work. You know, that you can talk about your commitment, your passion, your um, desire to inform, but really you just want to be out there doing the work. And right. because it's exciting and you feel like you have purpose, but being able to state and understand the complexity of what that purpose is and how the photographs you're making impact others as well as how the collecting of those photographs impact your own life and psyche that is that I mean that's where the real work happens and I don't think one understands that I mean like I didn't understand the depth of that for I don't know maybe the first 20 years really it takes a while so um, I believe that my time at OU and that Knight Fellowship was the turning point in the possibility of a deeper understanding. I love that. Can I wanted to ask you, you know, what what was it for you that made the decision to 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 come back to school? There were two things, two very specific events. Um, uh, I was working for Life Magazine and did a um, story about the dragging death of James Byrd, the black gentleman who was literally dragged to pieces uh, out in uh, Texas. And, I remember that. Yeah. yeah. Had the, you know, and he was one of many who were um, killed lynched, um, harmed in some profound way. It's just that that was so extreme. Mm -hmm. 
uh, that the world was riveted. And we had um, special kind of entree into the back rooms in that courthouse. And it was extraordinary to be with the prosecuting attorneys and um, spend time with people in the community. And the story, which was, I think, very powerful, um, was on the press, literally, and was going to run. And then the shooting in Columbine happened. So they pulled the Jasper, Texas story where Mr. Bird was killed, and they sort of put something together for the Columbine kids that were lost. And instead of seeing that these are actually two halves of the same problem of, you know, othering and bullying and, um, you know, terrorizing those who are different or perceived different. So I thought, oh my God, I can't, I can't change that. You know, I have no power um, in that decision. And then the second thing that happened is I worked on a story for National Geographic about pain. And it was, again, extremely powerful. It was on the page, ready to go. Uh, and it really broke new ground at the time. Um, because it addressed some of the modalities that could help people who were in pain. And they were, you know, they were new. They were innovative at the time. And the head editor called me and said, Lynn, I don't think we can run this. It's just too hard to look at. Uh -huh. And I'm like, wait a minute. That's what we're <laughs> supposed to be doing. That's, that's the whole, that's the, that's that's the, the deal. Point. You yeah. know, that's how you move people to action or to at least a deeper understanding of the reality. So those two things happened uh, pretty close together. And I thought, I'm done. I'm done with this. I, I, like, I'm not doing this anymore because, you know, you put your heart and soul, you like leave your sweeties and your whatevers and your friends and you have no life other than a life on the road and and then you ask all of these people to bear their soul and allow you into their lives. And they do so believing they will have a presence and a voice in the world. And then some other powerful entity just shuts it all down. And I was like, I, there's something I don't know. There's some skill I don't have that I need that will help me in these situations to move um, such stories forward into the light. That sounds almost like you, you needed a sabbatical from that kind of work, <laughs> a time to, to re, re, you know, focus, regroup, ground yourself a little bit. Mm -hmm. But you, you say you also were seeking a skill or a skill set. So, well, I thought, I thought it was a skill set, you know, like, why can't I convince these editors to use this work? I thought maybe I need a different kind of communication or, you know, do I need to be a picture editor instead or so, but what I really needed, I think, was um, time to sit with those losses and 
um, and to um, rediscover a sense of uh, confidence. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, it's not a skill set that was needed so much as just just kind of rebooting and understanding that reality. Yeah. That I'm actually capable of witnessing these things, perhaps more than most. And, you know, can I expect people to look at these images? I mean, things have changed in the last, I don't know, how, when was that? Oh my God, so long ago, many Six, years. 16 years since you left, but we've, you know, we're inundated, of course, with, with um, information, but of course with, with imagery. Mm -hmm. um, and I think we're much more accustomed as a society to, to seeing raw and powerful things. Mm -hmm. um, I did want to ask you, you know, about, about self-care and mm -hmm. about, you know, you being in those situations. And so you say, that maybe you have a capacity to, um, you know, weather those emotional or intense situations. Maybe you have a special capacity for that, but you also travel an extraordinary amount. Um, you've been in very extreme physical um, environments. And how do you care for your body and soul and mind and, and keep going back to do it again and again? Hmm. Um. Well, I think that, um, hmm, I'm not always very good about that, actually. <laughs> A lot of artists are not. <laughs> yeah. I can preach it, but I can't do it. So, I mean, I do meditate, uh, but it's, it's episodic, you know, when I need it, I do it. When I'm home, I, I, I meditate in the morning, um, but... I just think that one, you know, my armor comes from a belief in in what I'm doing. That there is a purpose for um, making these photographs, saving these moments, um, throwing them out into the world, and and I think when I was younger, I believed the purpose was, you know, projecting the material out into the world and people seeing it. Now I think it's much more important just to be with the people that I'm photographing or documenting. That that is the essential relationship. And a lot of work happens there. Um, like I've been following, uh, I did a story about cannabis for Geographic about five or six years ago. And, and became interested in a group of medically fragile children um, who use cannabis as real medicine. And um, one of these uh, children actually passed away uh, about 10 days ago. And mom called me and let me know, and I went to be with the family out in Washington State. And the quality of that time together all of, you know, visiting them periodically over five or six years and then being there um, after Maddie passed and, you know, being with the family. And, uh, you know, that f for me was the work. It's not so much the photographs anymore, although hopefully those will find a way into people's consciousness. But 
you know, I also think it's like being physically present and emotionally, psychologically present with the people that you're documenting. It's the work of documenting, but almost the, the process of witnessing, the act of witnessing while yeah. you're documenting is what it sounds like. Yeah, witnessing, but but not being afraid to, you know, you're you're a participant. There is no pure yeah, witness. Yeah, so it's deeper, yeah. it's deeper than witnessing. Yeah. Because and, you and are I, participating. Yeah, and I think that's the tough thing for young people because, you know, we're taught... Young photographers are taught, or journalists are taught, still taught objectivity. I mean, there is no objectivity. We always produce from who we are. I'm like a white, middle-aged woman. I'm producing from that identity. And... Um, Already, we know that's not objective. That's not pure in I can bring my professionalism to um, try to be balanced, to try to be non-judgmental, which is more and more difficult given our the climate in this country. Um, but I do think that uh, when you're present with individuals that you've been documenting for some time you know you're in relationship and and they get very complicated and all of those lines of what you shouldn't shouldn't do uh, begin to blur and fade so um, that's pretty complicated to negotiate I think about uh, when you say that, it brings to mind the project that you did with the transgender teen, mm -hmm. um, Emmy, I believe is her name, mm -hmm. and um, in reading about that um, and, and hearing her say that she felt um, you and she were creating something together, mm -hmm. and it was a real source of strength for her to be working and, and collaborating, partnering with you mm -hmm. as she was um, undergoing her surgeries. Mm -hmm. Um, because she felt like you and she were making something. Mm -hmm. And so that definitely seems like an example of that relationship building and um, that act of the photographer participating. Yes, absolutely. And and I think that's, that's a conscious decision. And the language that I use when I uh, photograph someone and work with someone is, is collaborative. And I make it clear that... Um, you know, I'm I'm seeking a balanced, honest project or documentation effort, but um, that it has to be both of us or all of us, depending on the situation. And so, um, and if we if we meet a complex situation that's you know where there might be disagreement or my perspective is different than their perspective, then you know we have to talk it out. And um, so it's so interesting because um, Emmy's uh, brother has also transitioned. I got oh, an wow. I got an email from uh, their mom about two two months ago, who said um, that now you know they were twins, both male. Yes, and mm -hmm. then you know one of each, and now they're both female and twins again identical twins again so that's that's pretty extraordinary yeah yeah you've had a lot of extraordinary um 
stories and moments that you've covered. You, you say you're a white, middle-aged woman, <laughs> and so you produce from, from that place, but you have um, traveled the world. Um, you have, you know, um, and particularly interested right now, you know, being in this pandemic such as we are, um, you've covered zoonotic diseases, right? So avian mm -hmm. flu and monkey pox mm -hmm. and... Um, I mentioned the transgender project. Mm -hmm. um, you spent quite, a, quite bit a bit of time with, with Mr. Mr. Rogers, mm -hmm. you know, who is is very beloved. Yes. Um, such a such a good man. And I uh, pardon me for interrupting, Colleen, but oh, please do. Yeah, I must say that time with Fred is was very. Um, and and I interviewed him for my master's project. So that time with Fred was very instructive in terms of this idea of being non-judgmental and, and being able to suspend judgment. Um, because people can feel it in your presence, in your attitude, in your language, in your body, in your energy. And um, and I would say that that's another thing that the master's degree allowed me was the time to just sit with certain people who were doing extraordinary work and learn from them. And he, of course, was, for me, the, the most revelatory. So, um, yeah, sorry, I yeah, so I've, yeah, I've done a lot of things and I've gone to a lot of different cultures and yeah, you've had tremendous access. Yeah. Hmm. Access. Actually, I think that word, you know, we have a lot of problematic words in photography. Like, okay. Yeah. So talk to me about shooting, access. So, yeah. Access, you know, mm -hmm. it implies privilege and a hierarchy of power. And so I prefer to think of it as a relationship. Yeah, and we know. Well, you mentioned when you mentioned the James Bird um, mm -hmm. hearings, you mentioned that you had had entree. Yeah, mm -hmm. to, to the courtroom. So to me, that that felt like, you know, you you had that ability to get in, right? You were able to open the door and walk in, so you had that access to get in. I think of access as the work that you do as a photographer and an individual in building those relationships, right? To show up as a partner. Um, and um, to be willing to, and to work to 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 tell that balanced, fair, true story um, as a as a full collaborative partner um, and relationship builder. So that to me, when I say access, that's sort of where where I'm coming from. Yes, well, I completely agree with you, and I love your definition. But I think when we use those buzzwords in photography, mm -hmm. we don't. Most people don't think of it as deeply as you just explained it. You know, they think, oh, well, you work for Geographic, you have access, you know. Well, oh, actually, yeah. no, you sure. don't. You still have to convince the person on the other side of the camera that you are worthy of their time and, and, right. and recording their life. And so there is no, one should never, ever assume that you... Um, you have the right to someone else's life. And I think we get very flip with language. Um, and, you know, when we're, because we're primarily 
working with the visual, um, I think we perhaps don't ponder language and the impact of it quite as much as we should as visual communicators. So, what do you what do you feel are the responsibilities of a documentarian, particularly now um, in this? Mm year of of 2020 where mm -hmm. we're recording this in the year of 2020 and um getting close to the end of that year it's been so tumultuous for our <laughs> our country and our world um and uh just you know with the pandemic and politics and i wonder if you could share some thoughts about that because you talked earlier about you know in your younger years you thought it was just about getting the pictures out there mm -hmm. But I feel like it, as as part of that process of taking the pictures and, and yes, getting them out there, you're also telling these stories that will be archived. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, so for example, you've also given your work to Ohio University, to the libraries, which is mm -hmm. just astounding and, and wonderful. But so we now have this collection, mm -hmm. this, 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 these documents of, of history. And so I wonder if you could talk a little bit about the responsibility you have as a documentarian and that photographers have. So if I can first mention that collection, I, I think my, yes, initial, please do. my initial, thank you, um, uh, the initial impetus was to, uh, to continue this idea of, of visual communicators being also educators. Uh, so that's my identity is I feel like I'm an educator with a camera. I'm a journalist and an educator with a camera. Emphasis on educator. So um, the purpose of, of the archive coming to OU, for which I am completely grateful that they actually wanted it. Um, of course. Is that um, I want students to see that, you know, you don't, you, you start here. You don't start here. You know, you. I mean, there are a lot of drill bits and headshots in those files. There's a lot of garbage. There's a lot of um, struggle and mediocre work. You know, the the really refined work. It it only happens once in a while through struggle on both sides of the camera. So um, that's one thing. And I think right now to address your question. Right now is, is a very complicated time. And I know a number of photographers have, with COVID and uh, lockdown, that they felt, well, they needed to stay home, you know, and photograph the light coming through their window and, you know, kind of look at their own sort of um, transformation or angst or um, consider the future and the work they want to do. I'm like, no. I'm getting on a plane and I'm going to go somewhere where I can see things happening, where I can see other people. I don't I don't want to. I mean, I probably should have stayed home to contemplate. <laughs> I don't know if it's but, possible for you to stay home for very long. It's just not in your blood. No, exactly. No, I think you have, it, like, you know, you have to be who you are. So much to the chagrin of my, I don't know, near and dear, um, I uh, propose Geographic Society is supporting a number of uh, photojournalists and journalists and radio um, journalists and uh, videographers and 
um, with these COVID-19 small grants. So I applied for a grant because my birth sister works for a, um, a small critical access hospital on an island off the coast of Washington State, which of course is where we think um, the COVID virus entered the U.S. We'll probably never know the truth of that. But, um, and so with the help of this small grant, I've been photographing this little hospital because we've lost now 14 or 1500 rural hospitals in this country because of COVID. They just are going belly up because it's so expensive to stay open. And um, that, I feel like that is important. Um, I know that there are tons of great photographers, you know, working in the big cities, doing tremendous work and showing us the reality of loss. And, um, but I thought, you know, who's looking at the rural life and the fact that on this island there is only one way to get health care? So that's kind of what I did as I bolted and um, and I actually just got back from there. So I've done three trips now. And because I think COVID, you know, we're, we're all sort of stuck in the trauma of these events. But there's a lot of downstream stuff. There's a lot of things changing and a lot of people impacted who actually aren't positive for the virus. But for instance, you know, they couldn't get their chemo treatments or their, oh, I have this completely heartbreaking, saw this little note of a young girl, 12 years old, who wrote a suicide note. It was found in the stairway of this hospital. And thank God she was rescued. Yeah. But, you know, we're, the mental health impact of this is just extraordinary. And we need to look at that too. Is that something that you'd like to explore? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I've been looking at the mental health impacts out on Whidbey Island. Mm -hmm. And, um, but it's difficult, you know? It's difficult because it's not... It doesn't have anything to do with somebody in a hood and somebody on a respirator and all of now the classic images that pepper our consciousness. Um, it, these, that story doesn't fit in that container. So... Um, we have to make a new container. We need a new container. Yeah, we need a new flow. We need a new awareness. Yeah. We need a we need a new um, a new filter, a new way to see. We need to expand our consciousness always, always. We can never see enough. I love that. Mm. It's very appropriate coming from you. Um, what is what's next for you so you're going to make this new container for us and help tell tell these stories that, that we need to see and hear yeah and educate us by the way thank you for for calling yourself an educator i think that's so appropriate 
Oh, well, um, you know, I think it's so exciting that hopefully all will be well in the end that um, the first, soon to be first lady is an educator. I mean, we need education is the key to everything. And, um, you know, at whatever level. And so, yes, I, I believe that that the identity we carry into the field is a, is critical, and we need to think about that um, as professionals. Um, otherwise, it's just like it's just appetite. You're just at the at the picture buffet, you know, grabbing this, grabbing that, grabbing this, grabbing that. You know, no, you need to have this overarching sense of your purpose, uh, which happens slowly so do you have anything um any any projects coming up next that you're uh, looking forward to or are you going to photograph the light coming in your window for a little bit going you're funny uh i'm I, I have been photographing the light in fact this light <laughs> is really beautiful should i should i show you the light please do yeah uh, look at that oh that is gorgeous. yeah yeah and the garden just beyond. So. That's lovely. Well, well, I'll be checking your Instagram account, okay. seeing if I can see that yeah. that window and some of that light. Mm. So I, I'll, I'll continue the Whitby uh, Island work. I'll continue this uh, the following these medically fragile children. I'm uh, working on a book about that with a colleague who is uh, teaches journalism, uh, Harriet Brown. She teaches at Syracuse University. And, uh, and then I just accepted a new assignment from Geographic, uh, uh, the, a story about touch, the science of touch. They always call it the science of something. The science you know, of something. Science of this, right. the science right. of that, you know. But really, I just ignore that part, and I just look for people who are, embody the, the idea of whether we can or can't. What's the impact of not being able to embrace each other in every way? Right. It's such an interesting topic. Mm -hmm. You know, of course, cultural issues surrounding touch, historical yeah. issues, mm -hmm. but also now when, you know, just being able to hug someone or mm -hmm. be close to someone that you love, mm -hmm. much less see them. It's very timely. Yeah. In wrapping up, um, just a little ode to Ohio. I thought it would be mm -hmm. fun. Um, I know it's been a while since since you've been here, and you were only here for a couple of years. But you're not too far. Pittsburgh is is, mm -hmm. is not too far, so you're 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 in the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm wondering if you, if I could throw some quick questions out there for you and just answer answer quickly, rapid fire with some of some like top or memorable moments of Ohio. Mm -hmm. Are you game? I'm game if those brain cells are still in there. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. Get them going. Okay. Mm -hmm. Was there um, a favorite spot on campus that you know? If you think back to the Ohio University campus, we all we all know know it for its beauty, um, brick streets, and you know Georgian architecture and and the College Green. Is there a favorite spot for you that comes to mind? You know, I think the um, expansiveness when you walk through that iron gate. The college gate. Yeah, the college yeah. gate. Not the one on the corner. So maybe there's the college right. gate on the corner, then there's the one in the middle of the block. As, as yeah, you sort that's of the walk, college gate, yeah. Yeah, walk through that, that, that sense of tradition 
um, that exists in that space as you walk into that space, um, I, I thought was uh, very beautiful. Did I go and sit on a bench there? No. But I, I do think that that, you know, that holds some kind of energy that yeah. feels meaningful there. Yeah, definitely mm -hmm. feels like the heart of campus in a lot mm -hmm. of ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What about people? Oh. What's a fa favorite person or very special relationship that you developed? I'm, I know that you're still in touch with lots of people, um, but any standout mentors or mm -hmm. students, friends? Uh, I think Stan A. Lost was a big um, part of my time there. <laughs> So Stan, Stan's on the faculty of the School yes, of Visual Communication. Stan's on the yeah. faculty, right. Yeah. Um, uh, Terry, of course, was instrumental in um, helping me to bring the archive there. Terry uh, Eiler, right, former director. Yeah, yeah. grateful to him. Um, I had a, a fellow fellow, um, um, Cindy Christie, and uh, so we... We still send cards back. Well, she actually, I'm terrible at it. She actually sends Christmas cards to me. Um, but, you know, I, I would say I like knowing that Stan and company are still there doing the good work, you know, doing the powerful work of teaching. So I, that makes me feel like solid, um, in my uh, relationship with OU. There's something about that longevity. Because I have now had my best friend has been there, Annie O'Neill has been there as a fellow. Um, there's a, uh, a woman from Geographic who was a picture editor there who's been there as a fellow. I mean, I, you know, you, I can feel the tradition. The tradition and I think the community. Yes. We often hear that wherever you go, there's a bobcat, you know, whether you're on a plane or, mm -hmm start a new job or just meet someone through a friend that it's mm -hmm. the, the ties are strong yes yes yeah. yeah yeah I would say much stronger than to my RIT uh, Rochester Institute of Technology experience okay. well, we'll take it we'll take well, that yeah. <laughs> I don't mind hearing that yeah. any any favorite cultural moments uh, favorite food any any foods you missed from Athens or I did love my little apartment. It was up on the hill. I had to walk. I pretty much walked every day. It was up on the hill. I don't remember the name of the street. Um, but it had beautiful light. It was just one room and a little kitchen. And I actually uh, rented it from Amy Tunzing, who or became aware of it from Amy, who was maybe a year or so before me. Mm -hmm. Another celebrated photographer. Yes. And um, there's something about paring your life down, your this global life, down to one room or two rooms. That was very powerful. Like, I brought a couple of spoons, forks, knives, and a bowl and a cup. And, you know, I mean almost nothing with me. So I think that <clears throat> that spare life, making room for learning, making room for challenging oneself, um, that was that was cool. It sounds perfect. Mm -hmm. 
Well, thank you so, so much for talking to me today. I know we could talk for hours about all of your different experiences and projects. This is just the tip of the iceberg. Mm. Um, but I appreciate your time and I appreciate your effort to, uh, you know, partner with with people, with humans mm. of the world and tell their stories and, um, and teach us the things that we need to know. Mm. Well, thank you, Colleen. It's been a pleasure and I wish you the best on other conversations that you have. I'm sure um, you will use them in the finest way. And uh, it's, 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 it's lovely to have an opportunity to talk about these things because usually behind the camera and silent. So thank you very much. Thank you. Mm -hmm.